Good Wednesday morning to you. Our top story, President Biden taking on Vladimir Putin. What he is saying this morning about those nuclear threats from Russia. It's October 12th. This is today. Grave mistake. President Biden hammering Vladimir Putin over the invasion of Ukraine, saying he underestimated the will of the people and the world's response. I think he is a rational actor who miscalculated significantly. His new message to an increasingly isolated Russian leader as the attacks across Ukraine intensify overnight. On the record with his key Senate race tightening, Pennsylvania Democrat John Fetterman speaks out. His first in-person sit-down since suffering a stroke. After having that stroke, I really understand you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. Why that interview was conducted using closed captioning and his message to voters with less than a month to go until Election Day. Today, exclusive, the miracle rescue of three fishermen who spent 28 hours floating in shark-infested waters, their ordeal, and how they managed to survive. They're right here in our studio to share that story with us. Smashing success, NASA reveals its mission to alter an asteroid's path. Well, it actually worked. This is a watershed moment for planetary defense and a watershed moment for humanity. Inside the celebration for a historic event that could one day help save the planet. Those stories plus legend lost. Tributes pour in for Angela Lansbury, a beloved star of stage and screen for nearly eight decades. And we'll look back this morning with love at her life and career. Today, Wednesday, October 12, 2022. From NBC News, this is Today with Savannah Guthrie and Hoda Cuppy, live from Studio 1A in Rockefeller Plaza. Hi, everybody. Good morning. Welcome to today. So nice to have you along with us starting your Wednesday morning with us. We're going to begin this morning with the latest out of Ukraine and President Biden weighing in overnight in a new interview saying Vladimir Putin, quote, totally miscalculated when he invaded the country and stressed that he thinks the Russian president is a, quote, rational actor who miscalculated. Yeah, Biden's comments coming amid what has been a brutal week in Ukraine with new attacks hitting more cities overnight. Back to reports for you this morning, including from inside Moscow, where they are reacting to the president's new message. But let's start with NBC's Richard Engel on the ground for us in southern Ukraine this morning. Richard, good morning to you. Good morning, Savannah. We are in the city of Mykolaiv in southern Ukraine, and this was the region's administrative headquarters destroyed by a Russian cruise missile. Earlier today, I spoke with the most senior Ukrainian official in this region, and he said that Ukrainians are now dusting off old Cold War preparation plans, modernizing them when it comes to evacuations and shelters. This after increased nuclear threats from Russia and those comments by President Biden overnight. As Russia widens its assault against Ukraine, firing missiles far from the front lines at cities including Zaporizhia, Kiev and Lviv. President Biden, speaking to CNN, accused President Vladimir Putin of putting the world at risk by threatening to use nuclear weapons. I don't think he will, but I think it's irresponsible for him to talk about it. U.S. and NATO officials say they do not see evidence Russia has deployed or plans to use nuclear weapons. The president calling Putin a rational actor, saying he'd misjudged Ukrainian resistance to Russia before the invasion. 
I think he is a rational actor who's miscalculated significantly. But President Biden accused Putin of playing with fire on a level not seen since the Cuban Missile Crisis 60 years ago this month. He, in fact, cannot continue with impunity to talk about the use of a tactical nuclear weapon as if that's a rational thing to do. The mistakes get made and the miscalculation could occur. No one can be sure what would happen and it could end in Armageddon. Russia is arguably at its weakest point in the war. Low on troops, it has implemented a partial draft and is even offering pardons to convicted prisoners in exchange for combat tours. Low on weapons, Russia is increasingly reliant on Iranian drones, with Russian arms production squeezed by sanctions. In rare public statements, the head of the British intelligence service, GCHQ, says Russia's military position is increasingly desperate. Russia's forces are exhausted. The use of prisoners as reinforcements and now the mobilization of tens of thousands of inexperienced conscripts speaks of a really desperate situation. And little can be more dangerous than a desperate nuclear power led by an unchecked leader who promised a quick victory, but may be facing a slow and humiliating defeat. In addition to dusting off those old Cold War era nuclear preparation plants, Ukrainians are also calling on the United States and other allies to quickly provide them with air defense systems to help protect against those Iranian-made drones that Russia is increasingly using. All right, Richard Engel leading us off from Ukraine. Richard, thank you. Also this morning, Russia is announcing arrests in the bridge explosion that led to this new wave of violence in Ukraine. NBC's chief international correspondent, Kier Simmons, joins us now from Moscow. Kier, what do we know about who Russia thinks did this and how this was carried out? Well, hold on. President Putin is speaking just a short distance away from me here right now. Again, describing this explosion as a terrorist attack and accusing uh, Ukrainian special services. Russian intelligence saying it has arrested uh, eight people, including five Russians and Ukrainians and Armenians, describing a complex route for explosives, it says, wrapped in plastic in a truck around the Black Sea into Russia and then to uh, that uh, bridge. Ukrainians on television describing that description as nonsense and Ukrainian Hoda, Ukraine Hoda, has not claimed responsibility for this attack. And then meantime, uh, Kira, it looks like President Biden, he weighed in on the possibility of a meeting, meeting with Putin at the upcoming G20 summit. What, what do you know about that? Yeah, that's, that's exactly right. President Biden saying, I have no intention of meeting with President Putin. But for example, if he came to me at the G20 and said, I want to talk about the release of Brittany Griner, I'd meet with him. Now, I understand from Russian officials that they haven't decided whether President Putin uh, will go to the G20. But President Biden uh, saying that he is not prepared, nor is anyone else prepared to negotiate with the Russians about uh, staying in Ukraine. Meanwhile, uh, Hoda, President Putin's speech today, once again, full of rhetoric and accusations. There is no sign of compromise here in Moscow, Hoda. Mm, all right. Keir Simmons forced there in Moscow. Keir, thank you. Meanwhile, President Biden is warning that Saudi Arabia will face consequences after OPEC last week announced a major cut in oil production. White House officials say higher oil prices will help Russia, an OPEC member country, finance its war in Ukraine. And the president indicated Congress will take action when it's back in session. 
I'm not going to get into what I'd consider and what I have in mind, but there will be there will be consequences. Asked whether it is time for the U.S. to rethink its relationship with Saudi Arabia, the president said yes. Let's turn now to the midterms and new attention this morning on a crucial Senate battle in Pennsylvania. Democrat John Fetterman locked in a tight race with Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz. And he sat down exclusively with NBC's Dasha Burns for his first in-person sit-down interview since he suffered that stroke. Dasha is with us now from Pittsburgh. Hi, Dasha. Good morning. Hoda, good morning. Fetterman's campaign has been open about their candidate's need for closed captioning during interviews to essentially read our questions as we ask them because of side effects of his stroke. Now, NBC News agreed to that accommodation. This is a critical time for Fetterman as his lead over Republican Dr. Mehmet Oz is narrowing in a pivotal race that could determine the balance of power in the Senate. Everything about it has changed. Basically having a conversation with your wife, to having a conversation with your children. Pennsylvania Democratic Senate candidate John Fetterman explaining how he's coping with the after effects of the stroke he suffered in May, just days before the primary. NBC News agreed to Fetterman's request to use a transcription program during this interview because he's still experiencing auditory processing issues from the stroke, meaning he can't always understand what he's hearing. Walk me through why we need the closed captioning, how it works. Yeah, it's, it's really just how things happen because I sometimes will hear things in a way that's not perfectly clear. So I use captioning. So I'm able to see what you're saying on the, uh, in captioning. Stroke experts say it's not a cognitive issue. And Fetterman says he's still fit to serve if elected. I always thought I was pretty empathetic, uh, uh, emphatic. Uh, I think I was very, excuse me, empathetic. Uh, you know, that's an example of the stroke, empathetic. I, I always thought I was very empathetic uh, before having a stroke. But now after having that stroke, I really understand, you know, much more kind of the challenges that Americans have day in and day out. I mean, when you have moments like you had just now, what's that experience like of just not quite being able to get the words out in the way that you want them to? No, I, I, I don't think uh, it was it was hard. It was just about having to be thinking more uh, sl- uh, uh, slower uh, to just understand. Uh, and that's sometimes that's kind of the processing that happens. Aside from releasing a letter from his cardiologist on June 3rd, the campaign has denied requests for his medical records. Don't voters deserve to know your status now? I, as I said, you know, being on in front of thousands and thousands of, of people and having interviews and getting around all across Pennsylvania, that gives everybody and the voters decide, you know, if they think that it's it's really the issue. Fetterman's opponent, Trump-endorsed celebrity Dr. Mehmet Oz, has called his health into question. John Fetterman is either healthy and he's dodging the debates because he does not want to answer for his radical left positions or he's too sick. But Fetterman hoping it's another health issue that will turn voters out in his favor. Dr. Oz likes to make fun of me that I might miss a word, but, you know, he's missed, you know, two words. And that is a yes or no on the national abortion uh, ban. While Oz is focusing on crime, hitting Fetterman on his record as head of Pennsylvania's Board of Pardons, where he advocated for the early release of some convicted murderers. For voters who say, I'd rather prioritize the safety of of me and of my kids in and around Philadelphia than prioritizing clemency or lower sentences for criminals, what do you say to those voters? 
Well, I actually have a record in fighting crime uh, as mayor of Braddock here for during four terms. And Savannah, we did find that in small talk before the interview without captioning, it seemed it was difficult for Fetterman to understand our conversation. Yeah, and Dasha, you had mentioned that last night on Nightly. Since then, other journalists who've also dealt with Fetterman came forward and said they had a different experience. Yeah, and Savannah, that's completely fair that that was their experience. We can only report our own. I will say it's important to note that according to the campaign itself, our team was the first to be in the room with Fetterman for an interview rather than via remote video conference. And uh, myself, my producer and our crew did find that small talk before that captioning was, was difficult because of those auditory processing issues I mentioned. Now, stroke experts do say that this does not mean... He has any cognitive impairment. It doesn't mean his memory or his uh, cognitive cognition is impaired, and he can fully uh, recover. And he can fully recover from this. And once the closed captioning was on, he was able to fully understand my questions throughout that 25-minute interview, which we will publish in full online later today. Savannah. All right, Dasha Burns in Pittsburgh for us. Thank you. All right, Craig joins the table now. This is a success story. Yes, from space. some good news. Yes, Hold us, Savannah. Good morning. Good morning to you as well. There's a huge celebration underway at NASA and Johns Hopkins University this morning with new data showing that small spacecraft they slammed into an asteroid worked better than they could have hoped, knocking it slightly off course. NBC's Tom Costello has been covering this for months now. So, Tom, does this mean we could have a, a strategy now to deflect asteroids that might be headed our way? It could. I mean, listen, this asteroid never posed a risk minding its own business orbiting another asteroid. NASA wanted to see if it could push it off its course so it might one day use that same strategy when an asteroid is heading our way. And it all worked perfectly. Look closely. You're seeing the moment of impact seven million miles away when NASA's DART spacecraft slammed into a harmless asteroid named Dimorphos orbiting an even bigger asteroid, kicking up a massive plume of dirt and rock stretching thousands of miles in space. Okay, here's the nose camera video taken from DART as it went into its fatal dive at 14,000 miles per hour. Scientists at Johns Hopkins and NASA celebrated the bullseye, but now they know their mission into the darkness of space worked. Dart's shove cut the tiny asteroid's orbit time around the bigger asteroid by 32 minutes. NASA had hoped to cut it by just 10 minutes. And yes, that is a big deal. Now, this is a watershed moment for planetary defense and a watershed moment for humanity. Here's why. If NASA can push an asteroid off course, then it may be able to deflect big asteroids that one day do pose a risk to all of us here on planet Earth. For proof that we need some kind of defense, just look at all the dinosaur fossils sitting in the world's museums. They rule the Earth until they were wiped out by a massive meteor crashing into the planet 65 million years ago. Fast forward to today. For the first time ever. Humanity has changed the orbit of a planetary body. And just maybe humanity has its first planetary defense system from a future mega meteor if 
we get enough warning. NASA and other space agencies can have decades of warning time, can track these things reliably for 100 plus years. A 100 year warning would hopefully be enough. The good news so far, NASA says it doesn't see any planet killers headed our way. I believe that NASA has proven that we are serious as a defender of the planet. All right. So if they can push an asteroid off its course long before it gets to Earth, it would be the best option. Blowing up an asteroid or targeting it with a nuclear device, those are still options, but that would also create massive debris fields and potentially even a radiation issue in space. So this kind of a push or shove really seen as the best option. But of course, the bigger the asteroid, the bigger the shove, and Earth's telescopes need to spot the asteroid in time to launch that kind of defense. Decades or 100 years, guys. Back well, to you. Well, it's, okay. it's great to know yeah. that it worked, Tom. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's great news. Good to give an asteroid like a little love tap. Right. Yeah, yeah, just, just like a little elbow. Little that's nut, it. Move, move it over. You just move yeah. over in this direction. On the other hand, we still have the Bruce Willis defense in our back pocket. Yeah, exactly. Uh-huh. 7.17, Mr. Roker, what you got? Today? Oh, well, okay, so we've got uh, some severe weather making its way toward us. We're going to be watching that very closely. You can already see we've got showers and thunderstorms pushing in from Minneapolis, Detroit, Chicago, down to the south. This is going to be part of a cold front that's making its way to the to the east. We've also got a risk of severe weather down to the south from Cincinnati, Memphis, Jackson, Birmingham, possibility of a tornado or two tomorrow. That moves to the east from Oneonta all the way down down to Richmond, Virginia. As that front pushes eastward across the Midwest, risk of gusty storms, Ohio on into Texas. For tomorrow, downpours, heavy storms into the Northeast could cause a delay to that Yankees-Cleveland game. Of course, Yankees (laughs) Yankees. <laughs> and then uh, Friday pushes slowly through New England with soaking rain from Cape Cod into New England. We're talking some high rainfall rates, especially in New England, could lead to some flooding. We've also got heavy rain down through the southeast. And we've got Tropical Storm Carl right now. It's uh, 155 miles north-northeast of Veracruz, New Mexico right now. Looks like it's going to kind of meander and make its way down into central Mexico. We're going to continue to watch that as well. And that is your latest weather, guys. All right, Al. Thank you so much. Straight ahead, we talked about that miracle rescue yesterday. Three fishermen pulled to safety after their boat capsized, forcing them to spend more than a day in rough, shark-infested gulf waters. We are so happy to say two of those survivors are here (laughs) with us exclusively. And what they don't know, and I don't think they're listening, uh, they're not. Okay, we have a surprise reunion in store with the Coast Guard members who saved them. Oh, it's going to be a special moment. And then we are going to celebrate the remarkable life and legacy of Angela Lansbury. New tributes pouring in for the icon of film, television, and stage. But first, on a Wednesday morning, this is Today on NBC. back. It's 7.30 with a live look at America's most iconic monument. We're talking about the Statue of Liberty. It's crowned, guys. Now to reopen to the public for the first time since the start of the pandemic. So if you're in town and you want to go, don't wait. Get your spot. The slots, they fill up months in advance, but it is open. It's a spectacular view. A lady Liberty yeah. looking especially uh-huh. beautiful this morning, too. Yeah. The sun hit, uh-huh. oh, it's beautiful. Right mm-hmm. As we start this half hour, though, we want to get, get right to a story that we first brought you yesterday that people are still talking about. Gosh, it all began when a boat capsized off the coast of Louisiana. It happened over the weekend and led to a terrifying ordeal for the three fishermen who were on it. As you can see, guys, they faced rough seas. Those waters infested with sharks 
Thankfully, they all survived. Two of them are here with us exclusively. We're going to speak with them in a moment. But first, more on the ordeal that one of them describes as the perfect storm for the perfect accident. An unbelievable rescue for three missing boaters found fighting for their lives against sharks and fatigue. Coast Guard video shows the exhausted men being hoisted out of the Gulf after 28 hours lost at sea. Their survival, thanks to a single text message and a back-to-basic search method. It all started Saturday morning when friends Fong Lee, Sun Win, and Lun Win set out on a boat to fish Red Snapper near Empire, Louisiana. But rough seas capsized their boat, leaving them stranded. Lun Win shared a video of himself in the water. Wearing a bright orange life vest as he and Sun Win clung to an ice chest, their friend Fong Lee floating miles away. When the men did not return home later that night, a family member called the Coast Guard. Boats and air crews combed the area through Saturday night. But it wasn't until Sunday when this Google Maps picture showing the men's approximate location was sent to the Coast Guard. Miraculously, Lee's text went through his friend back home who shared it with rescuers. But it was missing one vital piece of information, the exact coordinates. And so we were able to take that uh, picture from the screenshot and using kind of geolocation and and orienting ourselves to the map. And within an hour, they found them exhausted, dehydrated and shark bites to one of the men's hands, but alive. All right. Two of these incredible boaters who are rescued are with us now. Fong Lee and Lun Win. Good morning, both of you. We're so happy that you're here. You're sunburned, but you're both okay. Oh, yeah. 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 Oh my gosh. Alive. We're, I'm, Alive. We can't believe it. Um, we're just remembering when your boat was sinking, you only had a split second to say, let's grab some things. What were the things you grabbed? Oh, the minute we saw the water take, yeah. like the back of the boat start taking on water. I knew it right then and there. Put on your life vest. Life vest. Get your life vest on. Everybody put their life vest on yeah. instantly. Just get your life vest mm-hmm. on. I mean, you fished there before. Yeah. You're yeah. used to Gulf waters. They're unpredictable. Did, was there any reason to see this coming on? Mm-hmm. No, no. It, what happened? Well, we had the boat tied off to the oil mm-hmm. rig. And I, like, just like I was saying, it's like the the perfect storm for mm-hmm. the perfect accident. You know, mm-hmm. we had it tied to the front. The waves was crashing and then the waves was getting worse and worse. And it was picking us up, picking us up. Mm. And the back of the boat was dipping into the water. At, mm-hmm. And we didn't know. We was just fishing. We was yeah. having a good time. By the time we turned around and looked at the back of the boat, it's already taking on a lot of water. So y'all are old friends. You've been together friends since you're like 10, 11 years old. Yes. You're used to yeah. fishing. So now you're in the water. You got your life vests mm-hmm. on. You got a cooler that's got some water and a little bit of fruit in it, I guess. Yeah. Um, there must have been a point where it's it's hours on end. What were you? How did you keep your spirits up to think maybe someone's going to come for us? Well, we didn't. Yeah. We, oh. Our goal was basically to get to the oil rig, push as hard as we could. Swim. And just, with our little makeshift wrap, we just kept trying to push toward the oil rig. What was the wrap? Like you tied a couple Two coolers together. Two ice chests together with my bandana. Every time I go fishing, I wear a bandana, you know, because I lose a hat every time. I lost so mine. you tied it up? Yeah. And you you thought you were going to float to the oil rig and someone no, was going to we find was, you? No, we was going to push there. We were every oil rig has some kind of phone or yeah. something on there. So we figured but, we can get on there. We can make a distress call. I mean, yeah. it's just incredible. And while you're doing it, hours upon hours yeah. go on. Then night falls. Oh, yes. night falls. Terrifying. What was it? like clinging to those coolers in the just, middle of the night that was a pretty scary thing because good thing there's a full moon out so we had light but as far as you know 
we couldn't see any, we could barely see anything, so we just drifted at night. At one point, Fong, you were going to swim off. You thought you could make it. You saw a boat. You were going off, and you and your friend, who's not here but is recovering, mm-hmm. you were in the water, and you were confronted with sharks. We have video, we have a picture of this life vest that a shark actually yeah. chomped right through. What was happening there? The the shark hit the life vest, and um, I tried to push him off. Wouldn't go away, so I jabbed him in his eyes. With your hand? My fingers, like this. Put your thumbs in? Put my thumbs in his eyes, and he took took off. Oh. Yeah, got a couple scars, but, you know. They were not only shark-infested waters, they were jellyfish-infested waters. The night you describe, it sounds hellish to me. What was it like? to 20 minutes, you were constantly being stung by jellyfish. Uh. Constantly being stung by jellyfish. And it wasn't small. They were the big ones. Yeah. So in the middle of the night, I woke up with a jellyfish this big in my lap. Oh, what did you say to each other in, yeah. in that long well, night? The crazy thing, we didn't talk much. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We didn't talk much. We were just trying to hold it. It was cold. It was yeah. very cold. So we were just trying to stay warm. Yeah. Trying to hold each other to stay warm. So you have a cell phone. Yeah. It has 3% battery, almost mm-hmm. nothing. Well, it had 5% battery. 5%. Okay. I wasn't thinking of anything more. I decided that I told the guys that I'm, I have to do it. Yeah. I have to do it. It's our last chance. Yeah. So I made the trek to the shrimp boat. Yeah. It's four to five miles away. Yeah. So I just swam out there. And when I got close to the shrimp mm-hmm. boat, maybe within a mile, mm-hmm. I saw the smoke come up and it the went shrimp, in the opposite direction. The shrimp boat left. So you had your phone. You only yeah. had 5% battery and you had them. You only had time for probably one text. What was your text? Well, I opened up my phone yeah. and then that's when. All of a sudden, all the text messages came in. Could yeah. you believe you got a signal yeah, I, right out, out there in the middle, middle of nowhere? The whole time, I didn't have no signal. Yeah. But out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico, I had a signal. Yeah. Oh, this so is the actual Let phone. me see that phone. We and want a waterproof case. Oh. So you're wow. holding it up. You're in it. You still have your flotation device. Yes. You have your waterproof case. You see that shrimp boat you were swimming yeah. to yeah. disappear into the mm-hmm. horizon. You hold up your this phone. phone. I, I just opened up to, to see my location. I opened up my my yeah. Apple uh, Maps, yeah. and it showed me where I was yeah. at. And Snap. I just screenshot it, and then all the text messages started coming in when I hit the air, turn off the airplane wow. mode. Well, that was the moment, yeah. Fong, because somehow that message got to your friend. Your friend got it to the Coast Guard. I text them. I, 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 Incredible. I just hurry up and text them, and then the minute I text them, I sent them. I said, I'm floating out to sea. My boat sank. Well, you know what? You know those guys who saved you? Did you, did you get a chance to say thank you to the yes, Coast Guard? Yes. Well, would you like to do it one more time? Sure. Sure. Well, you know what? They're here. They're they want to say hey to you. <laughs> Come Let's on, turn in, they guys. Up. Here, watch you guys. We've got Scoot on over. Captain Kevin Keith, Andrew Stone, and Lieutenant Katie Carraway. Sit down. These are your heroes. Sure, guys, why don't you come yeah. have a seat? Have a seat. Captain. Have a seat, guys. Come on in. Scoot on over. We got come room. on in here. Come on in. Andrew. So Captain Keefe was yeah. coordinating. We have Lieutenant Caraway who yeah. was in the chopper, correct? Yes, ma'am. And Mr. Stone Andrew, so you were in the boat. Yes, ma'am. What is a moment? I mean, you work, you train for this, and here you are. You saved these two, three oh, wow. people. 
Yes. What does it mean to you to be sitting here? It's absolutely incredible to be able to look Paul here in the eyes again. He, <laughs> he was the one that we picked up initially out of the water. Mm-hmm. And uh, what saved their lives is these prepared mariners. You guys had those life jackets. You tied two coolers together yeah. uh, to remain afloat, you know, mm-hmm. for almost 30 hours. And that's just incredible. And we feel great to bring you guys home to your family. I heard y'all cheering. I heard y'all cheering. <laughs> <laughs> cheering. I, was, I, was, I was out of it, but I was like, y'all was Y'all was happy. Y'all was Andrew, happy. how did you find them? Like, what how, What was their condition when you came across them? Um, so we found them. The um, fixed-wing aircraft overhead actually gave us a position to search. <laughs> they said, hey, they're about 200 yards off your bow, so that's where we went. Mm-hmm. Um, and we saw them pretty quickly, yeah. saw them floating mm-hmm. uh, with ice chests and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, we were able to get them out of the water very quickly. They were very tired, sunburned, uh, dehydrated and stuff, but, but we were able to get them and bring them home, and it's, like, uh, it's one of the things that you... Uh-huh. You, um, it's one of the reasons why I joined the Coast Guard. Yeah. I love this branch because we're able to do stuff like that. Yeah, like yeah. and being able to see him um, alive and <laughs> and recovering, like it's it's awesome. Loan, your eyes are telling the story right now. What are you feeling in this moment? Great, yeah. <laughs> uh, I, can't. I just remember him picking me up, putting me out the water. It's like, wow, we made it. You made it. <laughs> wow. That's pretty cool. Quite a feeling of relief when we yeah. got to call their families and say, hey, we, <laughs> we, we picked them up. They're in the helicopter. They're relatively okay, and they're headed back to a hospital, and you guys can meet them there. Definitely mm. a once-in-a-lifetime. I was about to say, yeah. Captain, this is a once-in-a-lifetime. Yeah. So many times yeah. the Coast Guard valiantly searches <laughs> for survivors and doesn't find them. And here, because they were mm. experienced mariners and knew what to mm-hmm. do, and because of your experience, mm-hmm. we have a happy ending here. Ab- Absolutely. Oh. We have happy ending. A lot, a lot of folks uh, were involved in, you know, about 30 people were involved. And it's, uh, you know, so awesome to be here to kind of convey everyone's thoughts and prayers and good wishes and channel that in the moment when we got to call uh, your yeah. family members and say, hey, we, we found them. And, uh, so you were the one who was in touch with, with Sam yes. the whole time. Wow. Yes. Well, this is a beautiful reunion. Uh, thank you guys for everything you do. You all are incredible. I'm sorry I have your phone. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, that's probably not that. Save oh, All right, guys, thank you so And much. give our best to your friends yeah. soon. I know yes. recovering, but, yes. but doing well. Happy so. y'all are here. Yeah, thank, you. Happy you. Thank, you. thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you so for much. Having us. Oh, wow, that was beautiful. Um, okay, over to Craig. Over to you. Oh, that was beautiful. What a reunion and way to go, Coast Guard, man. Up next, we are going to honor Angela Lansbury as the world remembers the pioneering actress and the many times she reinvented herself during that remarkable career. Our guy Harry Smith is going to lead our tribute right after this. We're back at 744, and we're celebrating the life of a Hollywood icon, Angela Lansbury. Mm, She was. The beloved star died yesterday, just days before her 97th birthday. And Harry Smith Mm. is here with a a look back at a legendary and remarkable (laughs) career. This woman had chops. I mean, she could do it all. Incredible range from Broadway to Murder, She Wrote, to the beloved Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. And though she made a name for herself early on as a talented character actress, Lansbury was just getting started on a remarkable journey. For years, she owned Sunday nights on CBS. Angela Lansbury as Jessica Fletcher, amateur sleuth, on Murder, She Wrote. Could she take the books with her and just report back to you? From supporting star to leading lady, 
Angela Lansbury had a specialty, reinventing herself on screen and on stage. Born in England in 1925, Lansbury and her family left for the United States during World War II. She quickly shot to fame as a teenager in Hollywood. Oscar nominations followed two early supporting roles in Gaslight and The Picture of Dorian Gray. I was a young character actress, and these days that word is a dirty word in our business. A third nomination for her unapologetically evil Eleanor Island in 1962's The Manchurian Candidate. I want the nominee to be dead about two minutes after he begins his acceptance speech. But the powerful performance also showed the typecasting Lansbury was already facing. She played the mother of Lawrence Harvey, though she was just three years older than he was. Lansbury next conquered the Broadway stage, starring in the musical Mame. I'm not like Mame at all, but I love playing her, because for the first time in my life, I was admired as a woman. The role earned her the first of six Tony Awards. More followed for roles in Gypsy and Stephen Sondheim's Sweeney Todd. Then came television. Murder, she wrote, ran for a dozen years, earning Lansbury 12 Emmy nominations for each of the years it aired, though like the Oscars, never a win. In 2013, her career was celebrated with an honorary Academy Award for creating, quote, some of cinema's most memorable characters. She was made a dame by Queen Elizabeth in 2014. We especially enjoyed Angela Lansbury as Mrs. Potts in Beauty and the Beast. Lansbury, a beloved Today Show guest, told us in 2011 she was hesitant to take the role. We think we're, we're moving out of our, our uh, comfort range. Yes, yes. yes. And uh, I thought, well, I'm not, I'm not that kind of singer. But we were smitten yet again by the actor who said, I was primarily an actress, not a pretty face. And oh, what an actress she was. And she was still working 2017. She's doing Little Women for PBS. Wow. Right? Wow. And for the kids out there, yeah. uh, who is this woman exactly? Go back, stream Manchurian Candidate. Yeah. You're, you'll get bumps on your arms yeah. and say, whoa. Murder, wow. she wrote it. Still one of yeah. my father's all-time favorites. Yeah. Still watches yeah. every episode. Right? So. Yeah. Old reliable. Not to get a tear in your yeah. eye when you hear Mrs. Potts. I know. And the beach. So good. Beautiful. <sighs> Thank you, Harry. What a life, Harry. Perfect. Thank you, Harry. Pleasure. Mr. Roker, what uh, do we have? Much more you can say after that. A few record highs in the Pacific Northwest, a fire risk in the plains. We're looking for heavy rain down through the Gulf, and that's going to be making its way to the east as we move over the next 24 hours. And that's your latest weather. Yes. All right. Thank you, Al. Still ahead with sales everywhere you look. There's a lot of attempt to shop early. Al Roker. But will those <laughs> discounts get bigger as we get closer to Christmas? Yes, yeah, so should you wait? Vicki wins on the case. The first these messages.